Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Was the message just get me the ball more? Uh, no, not so much that. Uh, pretty much just, you know, doesn't it was pretty much just me talk, just talking to um, JG a little bit. And, you know, those that's, that's two competitive guys right there. And more so just um, me just want to do anything I can. Not so much get me the ball more, though. Sorry, all things all good for you and Garrett now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was literally, you know, right there during the game. Me and him spoke right after the game. It was literally nothing. There's Kenny Galladay, Dan, on his sideline exchange Thursday night that's gotten all kinds of run on social media and appeared on the broadcast. It it seemed like he was talking to Daniel Jones with a little bit of a heated exchange, maybe yelling at uh, Daniel Jones, but it wasn't DJ. It was JG, as Kenny Galladay said there uh, to the media. So JG, Jason Garrett, plenty of that going on with the Giants right now, right? The players don't seem to be happy. The fans are completely uh, losing it, right? The fans are just completely over it. Cannot believe that they're back here again, 0-2. What's your leadoff take on that brutal loss to Washington last week, but just where the football team is right now? Well, I think all the issues, whether they're on the field, on the sidelines, in the stands, at home, online, I think it speaks volumes about where the organization is right now. Um, there's just frustration, obviously, from top to bottom. Things do not appear to be getting better, yes. There are some, you know, strides here and there. You know, you see Andrew Thomas playing a little bit better. That's, that's you know, positive. Daniel Jones playing out of his mind. You know, Sterling Shepard, who we've talked about pretty much every week for the past month on this show, yep. is just lighting up the world, which is, you know, was expected here, not necessarily anywhere else. But those positives are not outweighing the negatives. And I think what you're seeing on the sideline with, with Galladay and his exchange with Garrett and, you know, maybe Daniel Jones was also a little bit involved in there. He kind of indicated that he was. Uh, Canarius Tony getting into it with Joe Judge. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but you're just starting to see a snowball effect here, and things aren't necessarily getting any better. And you got, you know, an undisciplined team on the field, uh, which is causing frustrations. Fans, as you said, are really starting to melt down a little bit. Uh, it's just a very frustrating time, but this is what happens with prolonged, you know, bad teams. And the Giants have been bad for a long time 0 2 for five straight years now. Um, have had one winning season since their 2011 uh, Super Bowl run. And that was a fluke in 2016 where the defense dominated and the offense was still pretty terrible. Obviously, that head coach was fired the following year. So it's just been a long time of getting beat down. And I think everybody involved is just kind of getting tired of it. Well, certainly Kenny Galladay is, is this is not how he envisioned his start with the Giants going right. And I think, you know, this commentary goes a couple different ways. Number one, you had out there, you, you shared some next gen stats on Giants Wire about how Galladay is getting an average of six, almost six and a half yards of cushion, but averaging just 1.3 yards per separation, which is which is actually last in the NFL. So that might be why Daniel Jones isn't going his way as much because there's just not a, when he's looking down the field, just not a lot of separation there for Galladay. But he is a contested catch master along the sidelines. So I think some of the frustration with Galladay must be mm-hmm. throw it, just throw it. Uh, so I'm sure that's what he's saying to Jones, but it, you know, it's Garrett, just his lack of aggressiveness. And we talk about the fans. I think the sequence that the fans and the players alike, Dan, they have beef with 
was right after that James Bradbury interception where the Giants have a chance to just put the game away. They're right there on you know in the red zone, and they just play so conservatively, two straight runs right into the center's ass, right? Those are just my, my least favorite plays in the world, like just running it right up the middle, no creativity, just it almost seems like you're just trying to run clock at that point when you call plays like that. Then a pass on third down, a safe pass short of the sticks, and then you settle for the field goal. And that ends up backfiring for whatever reason. I know I know a lot of things happen at the end of the game, but that strategy ends up backfiring. And I think Galladay, the fans, the players, with the offensive coordinator, that's where the beef is. I don't think Jason Garrett had his worst game on Thursday night, no. but that was a very difficult moment to swallow. We keep seeing this. You got a chance to just take controls of a situation and you just don't do it. Well, I, I think there's a combination of things there. You know, going back to Galladay, no, no one is, you know, accusing him of being some kind of master of separation. Everybody knows that he's a contested catch kind of guy. He's not going to get a bunch of separation. But when you compare the cushion to the separation, and you can go down the line and look at that with every single Giants receiver. We talked about this off the air. I'm not going to break down every number, but they're very similar in the, in the fact that they're getting a lot of cushion and then not a lot of separation. And that speaks to the volume of, one, the kind of routes that are being called by Jason Garrett, curls, digs, things that we've seen consistently over the last year uh, plus two weeks. And it, it makes things predictable. So, you know, the defenders are allowed to try to defend deep and then, you know, come up real quick, close that cushion, you know, eliminate that separation. And, you know, as good as Galladay is historically in contested catches, the odds are he's not going to be able to win every single one of those matchups. And you saw that on one of those plays that you were talking about after that uh, Bradbury interception where, where the gap was closed real quick and the ball was knocked away. And then obviously there was a tremendous amount of frustration there. I think the other part of that is it's not necessarily just the play calling. It is in some degree the players on the field. And I'm not talking about Gully. I'm actually talking about Saquon Barkley because those two runs into the stacked box, not the best play calls in the world in that situation. But on at least one of those runs, Barkley had no patience whatsoever and his field vision just didn't seem to exist. There was a hole off to the right side, which was created for him to go through. But instead, he shifted back left and went right into that box up his you know, offensive lineman's back. And it was you know a one-yard play, a zero-yard play, whatever it was. So there, there's a real problem that the Giants are experiencing on the offensive side of the ball where, one, the majority of the time, the offensive play calling is entirely too predictable. It's too predictable. It, it doesn't fit the situation. You saw that on both ends. But then the other part is the execution by the players. And, one, you, again, you look at Galladay, you, you want to make your bread and butter on contested catches, and you've got to make those contested catches. Yeah. You, you can't get the ball knocked away and then go scream at the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. The other part of that is is Saquon, and this doesn't necessarily apply just to him, but to the other players as well, you've got to have some level of patience and allow the situation on the field to develop. You, You realize that you're struggling along the offensive line, especially now losing two additional starters. Have some patience. Trust your field vision. It's what got you here in the first place. You had an opportunity to cut right and make some gains. Maybe you wouldn't have got a first down, but it certainly would have positioned the Giants in a lot better situation because Daniel Jones, as good as he's been playing, you can only run twice and then face a third and long so many times before he's just not going to be able to convert. Statistically, it's just not on his side. So there is definitely a combination of problems there that involve both the coaches and the players that need to be addressed. No, you, you know, nobody's going to have beef with Daniel Jones, right? I mean, he played his ass off on Thursday night. He was great. Uh, you know, but some of the penalties were horrible, right? I mean, the Giants, 11 penalties. Uh, I'm not going to rip them for all of them because 
these freaking refs, Dan, are they drive you crazy watching the game. They have to because they're just it's so over officious. They can't wait to throw the flag. You know, the flag on Jones's touchdown run was ridiculous. There's just not that's not a hold. That that player had no chance of stopping Jones. It was just a horrible call. It's just mm-hmm. one guy on one guy on the sideline, and it wasn't a hold. So uh, there there is stuff like that happening. But you know, the Giants with with Joe Judge always preaching discipline uh, and all that, and you know, eleven penalties they end up killing you. Especially the one at the end of the game on the field goal with Dexter Lawrence. And I've seen the videos on Twitter, Dan. I want to get your take on this. I, I, he might have timed it perfectly. I'm seeing that thing in super super yeah. slow mo on on Twitter and. He might have. Maybe he wasn't offsides. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see those videos. And I understand the fans being uh, pissed seeing that. But it goes back to these refs, Dan. They just can't wait to throw the flag. And I think anything that looks like offsides in that situation in real time, they're going to throw it. And and that that's where I put a little bit on Lawrence. Like, I, I think he just got off a little bit quick, even if it was timed 100% perfectly. If it appears to be offsides, these freaking refs can't help themselves. And I think that's why the flag was thrown. That thing should be, it probably should be reviewable. I mean, we shouldn't have something that close and that subjective deciding a game like that because the the freaking idiot Washington kicker missed the kick and the Giants should have won. But unfortunately, it's a subjective play. And if if it's anywhere's close, they're going to throw the flag, right? I mean, that's just where we're at in the NFL. I I don't know how you coach that down. You know, I don't know how you tell your player, well, slow it down. I mean, he's literally, he's coached from high school to to get off on that first movement. And that's exactly what he did. I don't care how much you slow down that play. And again, this is something that I, I talked about this week. Even on the slowest review imaginable, the, the Washington center has a hitch where he, he moved his elbows before he moved the ball, which, okay, fine. If you don't want to call that a false start, then it's not offsides either. But if you're going to argue that it was offsides, then he was drawn offsides by the center's false start. It, it cannot be one or the other, and it certainly can't be both. Um, you know, it, 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 it's just it's one of those ticky-tack plays where it's hard to argue because, you know, even if they went to review, the call on the field was offsides, and then there had to be enough visual evidence for them to overturn it. And in that situation, I don't think that would have happened anyway, even if it would have been uh, the right call to either call a false start or say that he wasn't offsides. So, you know, the bottom line is the Giants shouldn't have put themselves in that position. There were nine other penalties throughout the game that were far more legitimate, um, some that cost them you know, points on the board. Not, not And again, not just those two instances where, you know, Washington got three and it cost the Giants another four on that Daniel Jones run. But there were other instances throughout the game where, you know, some false starts back-to-back pushed them out of, you know. Yeah, that was terrible. Further, further away, right. So, again, you know, you, we can argue all day whether or not Dexter Lawrence was offsides. The league has determined that he was. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, that's that's the bottom line. And, and the Giants just, as frustrating as that is, they cannot continue to put themselves in those positions. Frustration all around. You know, I think the players, the coaches, the fans, the ownership, I'm sure. It's just a frustrating time to, to be covering the Giants and to be rooting for the Giants. And that extends to uh, Kadarius Tony, And he's let his voice be heard. And let's get into his situation here coming up next. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Urbanini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week number three. New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones versus the Atlanta Falcons. Saquon Barkley saw a little more action in week two, but he still isn't 100% yet. 
Jones's ability to run the ball brings an added bonus to fantasy, and it never hurts to see him face the worst defense of his position. Atlanta has given up eight touchdowns in two games to quarterbacks through the air without picking off a pass. Jones has the weaponry, and it'll be really surprising if he doesn't approach 275 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Baltimore Ravens running back Tyson Williams takes on the Detroit Lions on the road. This is the worst defense of the position, and even excluding Aaron Jones' three receiving touchdowns, since that's not really Williams' game, we still have one of the easiest matchups of the week. After kind of disappearing in the second half of week one, Williams remained involved in last week's game, and he finished with 93 yards of total offense on his 15 touches. While Lamar Jackson is always a threat to steal a touchdown, Williams has a really good shot at getting into the end zone. Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Jalen Rager at the Dallas Cowboys. A strong week one, and then he disappeared a little bit last week. But this matchup is ideal. Dallas doesn't have a great pass rush. It's weak on the back end. Quarterback Jalen Hurts will have time to go through his reads. And even if he doesn't, he's so dangerous on the run in the scramble drill, which benefits the downfield Rager. Philadelphia could be asked to pass more than usual in this one. Dallas has given up the third most yards to wide receivers through two games. And one out of every less than 11 completions is actually a touchdown by wide receivers. Let's go back and pick on the Detroit lines a little bit more. Normally I avoid household names, but tight end Mark Andrews has been in kind of a slump. Fantasy gamers may start to get restless if he doesn't find the end zone soon. He has not scored in his last six appearances, including last year's postseason, and Andrews has a mere two touchdown catches over his last 13 outings. While it's easy to understand the frustration, especially in non-PPR scoring, Andrews shouldn't leave lineups just yet. Detroit has permitted only seven catches through two games to tight ends, but the 130 yards generated ranks 10th, and one touchdown against came last week from Robert Tunyon. Lock the veteran and tight end in for one more week. For more award-winning fantasy news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. In terms of you know educating our players on what to do and put out there, I'm not going to speak for any of the players. We, we do it on a consistent basis. I will say I've spoke to KT, um, and the thing that was put out there that kind of you know caught flames, or you want to say the initial thing, had nothing to do with football. So we're very open to our players. I talk to them all the time. When there's something to be disciplined, we take care of it. Um, in this instance, in terms of that initial deal right there, we've talked them on through it. And you know the biggest part is educating these guys that you know, if you're going to be active on social media, sometimes you may just have to go and clarify it. So, I mean, look, maybe these guys need to start hashtagging everything with not related to the New York football giants or the NFL or football, whatever it may be. I don't know what they choose to do on that right there. But, you know, we just got to make sure we understand that, you know, we are in a different situation with our jobs, that it is very visible to the outside, and that anything you put out there is going to be interpreted related directly to what your profession is. There's Joe Judge talking about uh, hashtagging, which I thought was uh... – I, I could listen to him try to explain hashtagging for a while, Dan. You know, hashtag not related to the New York football giants. I think that that's a little bit too long, Joe. We need to shorten that up. I mean, we could shorten up the names, right? We're calling everybody KT, JG, DJ, right? But we, we don't know how to shorten up our hashtags when we're Joe Judge. But uh, why is he lying to us, Dan? Why? I mean, it's very clear that Kadarius Tony was coming after the media by calling them clowns on his Instagram account, right? And then it's very, very clear that he's upset with his role where he gets 19 snaps against Washington and no touches. So in two games as a New York Giant, the number 20 overall pick in the draft, 
has accounted for negative two yards. So you know he's upset. And he's venting it on social media. And for Joe Judge to tell us that, oh, uh, you know, he's just talking about his cousin. You know, that's a family tweet. You know, that tweet was about his family. There's something going on with his personal life. No, it's about it's about how much he hates being a giant right now. That's exactly what that tweet's about. So why, why is uh, Joe Judge lying to us? Well, I thought it was interesting the way that Judge tried to kind of sweep that under the rug because it came just, you know, hours after the fact that he, he, you know, separated himself from his team, stood off to the side, you know, he had his arms crossed, he was kind of angry, pouting a little bit, sulking, whatever whatever you want to call it. And that came on the heels of an argument that was, very, you know, very visible uh, with Judge on the sideline. And for a player who was only in there, you know, for 19 snaps, what do, what do you think it is that he's complaining about? You think he's celebrating the fact that he's been drafted in the first round, he's not being used even though he's healthy? You know, after missing the entire summer, no, he's, he's obviously not happy with that. And there was comments from, you know, someone in his inner circle to the, you know, New Jersey advanced media that was very specific about the fact that if you've got a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or whatever they called them, it doesn't make sense not to use it. You know, it, none of that is a coincidence. And now we're being told, you know what, it's just a big old coincidence. Just there's nothing to see here. Don't look there. Look over here. The bottom line is when there's smoke, there's fire. And it's not just Kadarius Tony. It's not just Kenny Galladay. It's it's several players, several people in the organization, the fans, the owners. You know, no one is happy with what is happening right now. And this isn't exclusive to this year. You, just, you look back last year and Golden Tate got suspended for yelling at Jason Garrett to throw him the darn ball. Yep. And so this isn't this isn't new for the Giants. So this notion that, you know, it almost reminds me of Star Wars, like these are not the droids that you're looking for all right you know you're not fooling any of us but we'll play along so how long until the whole thing does burst in the flames you know because yeah. it's it's not you know it doesn't seem that far off at this point i want to get to another gripe that was you know very obvious watching the game and you know a, a very big talking point throughout on social media is just the fact that the giants aren't getting any pass rush on defense either dan mm-hmm. like so yeah i mean i we understand the receivers are are upset and you know I'm not gonna just like I'm not gonna worry too much about Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony like these are good players I think the Giants will figure that out eventually they they just need time together they're new and you know let's let's give us some time to play out they're clearly isn't unhappy that, isn't that interesting though because just last week on this program or two weeks ago we talked about how Kenny Galladay basically warned everybody don't, don't freak out it's it's yeah. gonna start slow yeah. and then he's freaking out because it's starting slow <laughs> that's true actually yeah yeah exactly yeah but he keeps talking about rust he did it again on Monday right. uh, so, but th- there's legitimate, I don't know if it's pass rush or scheme or, you know, what I mean, we've, nobody talks about Patrick Graham more glowingly than we do. Right. But I mean, yeah, it's like right. they've gotten picked apart by Teddy Bridgewater and Taylor yeah. Heineke, uh, yeah. you know, and they're just, it just seemed like on the, you know, I'm not an all 22 guy. I mean, somebody could explain, I'm not the one to talk about X's and O's Dan, but it just seems like they're playing. It's almost like a prevent defense, like a bend and don't break soft, right. keep everything in front of you type of defense. And it's not working because they're not getting any pressure on the quarterback. And, and this right. is becoming a problem because yeah. when Taylor Heineke is picking you apart and mm-hmm. doing a two-play 75-yard drive late in the game, that's a problem. There's no doubt about it. And the Giants played a similar defense last year, but it seems to get more conservative you know, this year. They're playing more cover two than they did a year ago, and that's compounded by the fact that they're not getting any pressure at all. At least a year ago, Graham was able to scheme pressure in a variety of different ways. This season through two games, you've not seen that. And as a result, your very talented cornerbacks 
you know, Bradbury included, are just getting eaten alive because they can only they can only do so much when it's basically them versus the entire offense. And, and I don't I don't necessarily mean that as a, a brutal knock to the defensive line or the front seven, but you, you've seen the issues there. One, you know, the Giants typically they struggle at covering the tight end, whether it's in man or zone, it doesn't matter. They just can't seem to stick with the tight end. You saw it, you know, Gabriel Peppers had problems with that this year. Uh, Blake Martinez has had problems with that this year. He's also missing tackles, which, you know, you haven't seen. So again, you're talking about scheme meets execution on the field and the giants are failing in both regards. They're, they're not scheming the pressure. They're not generating natural pressure. Um, their cornerbacks are being left out to dry and they're playing cover two at a, at a substantially larger clip than they were a year ago, which again, I, you know, you can repeat it to your blue in the face that that doesn't function. That doesn't work when you cannot generate any pressure on the quarterback. And the fact that they've been toasted by two quarterbacks that aren't necessarily considered in the top half of the league uh, it, it kind of makes it kind of scary looking ahead. You got Matt Ryan. I don't care how bad the Falcons are. You've got a good quarterback with good wide receivers coming up, uh, and they're going to play a defense that is making, you know, Bridgewater and Heineke look like Joe Montana out there. <laughs> yeah, and, and speaking of Atlanta, I mean, is this a, is this a must-win game, Dan, at home against Atlanta? Like, it has it's to be. a must-win, right? It has to be. It has. I'm sorry. I hate saying that about, you know, week three, but what happened in the NFC East last year was a bizarre anomaly. And the chances of that happening again in our lifetimes, it's slim to none. So if they lose and go to 0-3, I, I don't know. I don't know where the organization goes from there. Yeah, you, you get judged and the players and everybody saying the same thing. We got it. We're still positive. We got to grind. We got to improve it. At 0-3, if you lose to the Falcons at home, you're, you're going to lose control of everything. The wheels are going to come off. Let's get into that matchup a little bit here coming up. But first, our friends at the Sportsbook Wire have their play of the week. This is the typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. Hello, I'm Essam McLaren of Bet Slippin' Podcast and SportsbookWire.com here with my colleague Jeff Clark to break down the week three Monday night football game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. The Eagles are plus 3.5 road underdogs, minus 110 odds. I love that bet. It's one of my favorites of the week. Jalen Hurts, his mobility is going to be able to exploit that Dallas Cowboys defense that was without defensive end Demarcus Lawrence for the second straight week. It held up for Dallas last week against the Los Angeles Chargers. I think Hurts can exploit it. And that Philadelphia defense through two weeks has been fantastic. I like them to keep this within a field goal on the road. Jeff? Yeah, I'm going to follow you on this one. Also take the Eagles plus three and a half on the road in Monday Night Football because of the defense. Their defensive line is going to make it really tough for an albeit a great Dallas offensive line. But the Eagles are first in points per play on the defensive end, and I think their defense is going to do enough to keep this game close, plus Jalen Hurts is a gamer. Go with the Eagles plus three and a half. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, Dan, the betting public, they like the Giants in this matchup. The Giants are uh, three-and-a-half-point home favorites, at least the last time I checked the Tipico Sportsbook. Uh, that's where they were at. And at three-and-a-half, I'm confident. I'm, I'm laying the points. I think you talked about Matt Ryan. He's averaging a league-worst 
4.9 yards per air attempt. They're, it's a really short passing game right now for the Falcons. I think this is a, a chance for the Giants to dial some stuff up on defense. Finally, you do not have to play a soft shell cover two, whatever the hell they're doing uh, against this team right now because Matt Ryan's kind of feeling it out. They don't have Julio Jones. It's Calvin Ridley. It's Kyle Pitts. And I don't know who the third option right now is. I think it was supposed to be Russell Gage for them. He hasn't really done much. He's banged up too. So I think this is an opportunity against an offense that's not exactly lighting the world on fire for the Giants to play a game on defense. I loved Daniel Jones uh, last week. I thought he was great. And I think the offense is going to figure it out eventually. And this is a great spot, right? So three and a half point home favorites. Must win game for the Giants. Feeling the pressure. The fans are rabid. Give me the Giants. I'm going to lay the points. What do you think? I don't know if I'm going in that direction. If I'm <laughs> of course not. You didn't, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, you didn't do it last week either, but I was I right. I took, the, get, I took I'm the points. Get, I'm going to get screamed at for being, you know, Mr. Negative again. You're not taking the Falcons, I, Dan. Come on. I, I think the Falcons are actually going to win the game. And, wow. I, and I think they're going to win the game by about a touchdown. I don't think it's going to be, the, you know, the high-scoring offensive affair. Uh, that you know that actually has the potential to be even despite you know Atlanta's short passing game. I, I think one of the things that is going to open up for Atlanta, just as we talked about in the last segment, is the fact that the Giants can't cover the tight end over the middle of the field. And uh, Kyle Pitts, you know, it's been a little slow to start, but if ever was the, there was a matchup for him to get really rolling, it's it's certainly this game. And if the Giants can't generate you know pressure against Matt Ryan, it, it provides him the opportunity to open up the passing game and start pushing the ball downfield to players like Ridley, who are, you know, very difficult to cover as it is. Um, the one benefit the Giants have, potentially, is that, you know, the Falcons don't necessarily have any kind of run game to write home about at the moment. Um, but on the opposite end of that coin, the Giants themselves have really struggled against the ground game. So, again, it could be an opportunity for either the Giants get right on defense or the Falcons to get right on offense. And based on the last year and two weeks, I I just don't know if I believe that the Giants are going to be able to get the job done, especially with the way things have started this year. And then you've got, you know, explosive game chamber, changers like, you know, Cordell Patterson, who can catch, he can run, he can, you know, you know, change the game on special teams. Judge himself has called Patterson the greatest, you know, return man in the history of football. <laughs> so, you know, you potentially got him, you know, coming to get you in this particular game. And we actually talked about him this offseason. We're surprised the Giants didn't sign him. Uh, so there are plenty of opportunities that the Falcons have this weekend that they can exploit unless the Giants somehow manage to turn things around, get away from that soft shell defense, and generate pressure. And if they can't do that, I'm, I'm afraid that Ryan has got to put up bigger numbers than Bridgewater and Heineke did. Yeah, you know, I just I just feel like the Giants have a better roster. I just think they're 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 just a better team. Like hopefully that plays its way out, right? I just think they have better players than the Falcons do right now as we speak. Uh, so I'm on the other side. I think the Giants can win this game by a touchdown, Dan. So we'll see. I mean, but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised with you taking the Falcons because I read somewhere on my favorite Giants media site that the Giants fans tend to be the most negative, among the most negative, <laughs> win or lose. So uh, I'm not surprised you're taking the Falcons at all. It's just is what it is. Until the Giants can prove to me otherwise, I, I've got to go. I've got to go with what I'm seeing on the field. And, and you know, I, I thought that they had a better roster than Denver, too. You know, when that schedule first came out, I thought for sure the Giants were going to start, you know, 1-0. and But it didn't take long before you started to see the cracks in the foundation. And I just don't necessarily know that they're going to get the um, you know, fix those 
those cracks before this game. And it, it really does have the potential for Matt Ryan to just open things wide up and just absolutely roast the Giants defense that can't seem to stop anyone right now. Again, if they could find a way to generate some pressure, that, that could definitely be the key. The doc, you know, the medicine that the doctor ordered for the Giants, but if they're incapable of doing that, um, you know, the Falcons have a potentially dangerous offense. Well, this is the game. They got to dial it up on D. They got to come after him. I mean, like, like I said, there's no Julio Jones. You really only got to worry about Ridley and Pitts. You got to come after Matt Ryan in this game. And uh, the total at 47 and a half, I think it just feels way too high to me. Now, I've been on the under with the Giants in back-to-back weeks. That bit me last week, Dan. I actually uh, I actually put a little wager on the on the under, and uh, the Giants decided to score 29 points. So good for them. They heard me screaming into the microphone that they, they got to score 29. They got to score 27 to have a chance. And, oh, by the way, they had a chance, didn't they? They should have won that game. Uh, they just found a way to, to screw it up at the end. Uh, but I'm still on the under. I think 47 and a half, a little too high for me. Uh, I'm still confident in, in betting the under with the Giants. I, I just think that's just too high a number for me. I'm actually going over in this one. Okay. I, I can't remember my exact well, you prediction. Think, was, well, you think Matt Ryan's lighting him up, so this is why. Well, I, I, I think my USA Today Sports Weekly prediction was either 29 to 22 or 27 to 22, whatever the case may be. It's it's over. And, you know, I, again, I definitely see that being the case because – you know, again, on one hand, I could see Ryan Pitts in particular, Ridley having sort of a big game, scoring some points. But I think the Giants are a little bit better than their 17-point-per-game average that they had last year. Um, you, you could see the potential, especially with Jones going rogue here and there and just, you know, letting it loose. Uh, kind of a chuck-and-ducking situation that he's got going on, which, you know, I think is beneficial for him. I think that's his style of football. Um, so if he, if he continues to do that and, and you know, make those impressive audibles at the line and and take some shots deep i think they'll, they'll put up some points they'll go over 20 i just don't know that they're going to be able to score enough uh with jason garrett in control uh to ultimately win this game but as far as the total i, I definitely think they're going over all right so i got the giants i'm laying the points with the under and dan you're taking atlanta and the over so now, yep. I don't know who people want to believe, but you either believe Dan or you believe me. So that's what it comes down to, right? So we'll, well see. One of and us I don't will know. Right I, don't, I can't. I and I don't know if anyone should trust you, Dan, because you're just you know you're a Giants fan right now. So you're you know you're just you know it's it's hard to trust your takes at this point. I don't know if you're seeing clearly because you know and, and with with all you know and I with all the respect in the world I say that right because uh, it's a tough time to be a Giants fan. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Hey, we'll, we'll like I said, we'll find out next week. If, if, if I'm just seeing it, um, you know, the glass half empty or if maybe i'm being a little bit more realistic than some people would like me to be <laughs> must win game for the giants no doubt about it can't start zero and three so let's see what they got against atlanta dan and i will be back next week to break it down talk to you then this usa today sports podcast has been presented by usa today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.